visitations can be occasions of great joy or they can be occasions of a bit of dread. It all depends, doesn't it, on who the visitor is and who's being visited. Is it my mother who's coming or is it my mother-in-law? It all depends. It makes all the difference who the visitor is and who is being visited. Is it a friend or is it a foe who's coming to visit me? These are the questions we have when we hear that someone is coming over. Is it a peer? Is it a coworker? Or, or is my boss coming to check things out, to inspect, to make sure I'm doing things right? That makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Is the visitor going to be an old friend from college or is it one of the IRS's new agents? Makes all the difference in the world who is the one visiting. Today we hear of Jesus coming to his city, to Jerusalem, coming home, so to speak, coming to my house, he says. But he also calls himself a visitor. And I want you to see in this gospel reading something of what our Lord longs for with his people. For Jesus did not simply come long ago to visit Jerusalem, but he came to take residence there, and he wants still to this day to reside with you. That makes all the difference in the world. For Jesus wants to visit not just Jerusalem occasionally, but Jesus wants to come and make his home with you. What does it say in the book of Revelation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and he who opens to me, I will come in and dine with him. The visitor that we are considering today is none other than Jesus. But what kind of a visitor is this Jesus? Is he a wonderful visitor? Is he a welcome guest? Or is he someone we're not quite so sure about? Well, when you hear the gospel reading this morning, you get a picture of Jesus as a kind of intense visitor. He is weeping in one sentence, and in the next sentence, he's driving people out. You can see it on the cover art of your bulletin this morning, right? This Jesus is no stoic. He does not come apathetic. He does not come and say, well, whatever you want to do. You know, I don't know. I don't really know what I want to do. You ever have visitors like that? Come to your house and you say, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do? Those are nice visitors, right? They put no pressure on you. They put no burden on you. But when Jesus comes, he comes as an intense sort of visitor. And what we see in Jesus in this gospel reading are his tears. What we see in Jesus are not just a few soft tears, but we see him weeping. And what I want you to see in the weeping of Jesus and also in his anger, which we'll come to in just a minute, I want you to see a revelation of what he loves. Isn't that what tears do? They show the things that we love. No one cries, or we're not supposed to cry, over spilled milk. In my house, we, I get mad, over irrationally angry over spilled milk, right? But usually our tears are reserved for those things that we love. Our tears are reserved for those times and occasions where something happens that affects what is closest to us, what is most central to us, what is most beloved to us. So when the pet, the family pet dies, who we love, the tears Flow, And even more so when our loved ones, when our grandparents, when our spouses, when our children are harmed, the tears flow. It only happened twice in the Gospels that Jesus wept. 
And both of those are occasions that show what it is that our Lord loves. He was not an emotional man in the sense that he was out of control and he cried kind of randomly. No, but when those who Jesus loves are affected, the tears came for our Lord. So you remember how when he came to Lazarus, his friend Lazarus, when he came to Lazarus's tomb and he saw everyone weeping there at the tomb, our Lord was not unmoved by their tears, but he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he weep at the tomb of Lazarus? He wept for his fallen creatures. He wept for his beloved friends who had been afflicted with death, who had been grieved, and who had lost hope. He wept for Mary, he wept for Martha, he wept for Lazarus, he wept for the entire human race who stood there at the tomb and said, there's nothing that can be done. Jesus wept because he loves us. And it's the same as he goes towards Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. He knows that there are those in the city who want him dead. He knows that it is his destiny to come to that holy city and to be rejected, to be kicked outside the city and to be hanged on a cross. He knows all of that, that he is not coming to those who are just saying, oh, Jesus, we love you so much. And still he weeps over those who hate him. Why? Because our Lord is a Lord of love. And from the spring of his heart of love flow these tears of love. He looks on Jerusalem and he says, Would that you, even you, who to this day have rejected me, would that you would receive me. I would receive you in love. Yes, our Lord is an intense kind of visitor, but what I want you to see in his weeping is his love. And the same is true with this display of his anger. Now, we often skip over these parts of the Gospels where Jesus does things that make us a bit uncomfortable, right? We like Jesus when he's gentle and nice. We like Jesus when he is lowly and meek, and we should hold fast to those wonderful passages of Scripture. But what about this passage where Jesus is driving people out, where he's flipping tables over? Some of you have seen those bracelets, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Well, we can't rule out flipping tables over. But our Lord's anger, our Lord's anger is not the irrational anger of a dad whose child spills milk. Our Lord's anger is not that he is mad because, oh, now I have to clean up after all of you. That's why people like me get mad. But our Lord is angry. Our Lord is angry with that perfect anger, with that pure wrath of God that sees the injustice being done to his people. And because he loves them, because he loves them, he is angry and he acts. See, so often in our emotional state, we are sort of paralyzed, right? When the tears flowed for Mary, for Martha, and for all those who were weeping outside of Lazarus' tomb, they flowed because there was nothing that could be done. And oftentimes, anger works like this too, right? We are angry about a situation because we can't fix it. We can't do anything about it. But our Lord does not weep because he is powerless and unable to act. Our Lord is not angry because the situation is too big for him. No, out of love he weeps, out of love for his people he is angry at what has separated them from him, but he also knows how to act. And his actions are not the actions of an irate father who's just flying off the handle. No, his actions actually remove the cause of his anger. So it was that in those days, the temple, the place where God was to dwell with man, had become a place that was filled with a den of robbers. 
And Jesus took action to drive out the robbers, to restore the temple to its true purpose, to be the meeting place where God could visit man and man could visit God in this special way. In his weeping, in his anger, we see the intensity of our visitor. But don't mistake his intensity for a lack of love. See in that intensity of Jesus. See in the tears that flow from our Savior's face. And see even in the anger that wells up from his heart, his great love for his people. Jesus is the visitor in the gospel reading this morning. And this same Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, would visit you to this day as well. This Jesus would visit you and he would come to you with the same intense kind of love, this same love that would weep if you were not ready for him, this same love that would drive out everything from your life that would separate you from him, not again because he is irrationally angry, but because he loves his people and he desires above all to have you as his own. Jesus says that his visit was meant to be a time that brought peace. He did not come to weep over Jerusalem, to hold a dirge there in the city, and he didn't come just to upbraid them, just to yell and scream and flip tables. He says that his visitation is meant to bring peace, right? You heard it put this way. He's talking about how the Romans will come and destroy the city of Jerusalem because you did not know the time of your visitation. Would that you had known that the time of your visitation was a time for peace, Isn't that what the angels sang about out in the the fields when Jesus was born into this world? Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. And when he rode into the city, there were a few, there were some who welcomed him. There were some who knew that he was the prince of peace, that he had come to bring peace between God and man. And so when he rode in on that donkey, they hailed him as their king and they sang glory in the highest and peace, peace between God and men. But Jesus also says some strange things about peace. See, he doesn't want us to get confused about the kind of peace that he comes to bring. So in a place in St. Luke's gospel, Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Maybe you remember that saying of Jesus, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, which one is it, Jesus? Are you coming to bring us peace, or are you coming to cause division? What Jesus means when he says, I have not come to bring peace, is that I have not come to bring the kind of worldly peace that we so often pursue. You know, that kind of peace that is only, you know, skin deep, that kind of peace that just says, go along to get along, that kind of peace that ignores the real problem for conflict in a family, that kind of peace that ignores the real problem, that we would call that a a sense of false security. Jesus has not come to bring us false security. We often settle for that, don't we? We often settle for that because it's kind of easy. It's kind of easy not to address the elephant in the room. It's kind of easy. It's preferable because it doesn't hurt. It doesn't cause any offense. But Jesus has not come to bring false peace between God and man. He has not come to bring false security. He has come to bring the real thing. He has come to deal with the real problem that that causes loss of peace in our families. He has come to deal with the real source of conflict between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between nations and nations, and between people and their maker. 
Jesus has come to take upon himself your sins. He has come into this world. He has visited us in our lowly estate to take upon himself all that would separate you from God. And he doesn't want to give it back to you. Jesus is that kind of a visitor. He's the kind of visitor who comes into your home and he points out the things that cause distress. He doesn't gloss over things. He doesn't ignore your sins. He brings them out to you. He reveals your sin, not to rub your face in it, but so that he can take those things from you. Do you know the things that make for peace? Do you know that it is the blood of Jesus that brings peace between God and man? Do you know that it is sin that separates us from God, sin in all its different forms, in all its different manifestations? If you know that those are the things that cause unpeace, then flee from them. Turn them over to Jesus. Let him take them out of your life so that he may give you that true and lasting peace. Yes, Jesus is the visitor. He is an intense kind of visitor, but he comes not to bring sorrow, not to bring pain, but he comes to bring you peace. So this morning, learn from the city of Jerusalem to be prepared for your time of visitation. Jesus rode into Jerusalem probably right around the year 30 to 33 AD, and the words that he spoke there, this prophecy of doom, this prophecy of destruction, has been fulfilled. In the year 70 AD, or roughly around that time, a few years before, the Romans and the Jews went to war. And you know how it goes with the Romans. They usually win, (laughs) and they surely won against the Jews in Jerusalem. Not a stone was left upon a stone in that city. Jesus' words come true. His prophecies are not spoken idly. But we are to learn from their mistake. We are to learn from them how to be prepared, to recognize that now is the time when our Lord comes, when he visits us today to bring us peace. So know the things that make for peace. And let me use another illustration from the Gospels of Luke of a time when someone recognized their visitation. You know this man, he was a little man, he was a tax collector named Zacchaeus. You know how Jesus came to his city, to his town, and Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. In fact, he wanted to see Jesus so much that he wasn't afraid to look a little bit foolish. So you remember what happened to Zacchaeus, don't you? He was a little guy, and so he couldn't see Jesus through the crowds. So he did what only children do. He ran and climbed a tree. Little Zacchaeus knew that the day of his visitation was a day to throw aside anything, any sense of his own pride, any sense of his own propriety, because seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus was better than being respected. And so Zacchaeus threw off the shame. He ignored the looks that surely went his way as he climbed up that sycamore tree. And you remember how Jesus came to Zacchaeus, and Jesus looked up into the tree like a man looking up at a bird, and he said to Zacchaeus, come down for today, today I am visiting you. And so Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home, and that day great peace came to the home of Zacchaeus. And the things that make for peace, Jesus and his word, Jesus and his holy word came and visited that man Zacchaeus, and everything changed for Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't come into Zacchaeus' house and say, hey, everything here looks nice. Zacchaeus, you know what? You're doing a great job as a tax collector, cheating everybody out of their money. Keep it up. Jesus exposed what Zacchaeus was doing to him, and Zacchaeus' life changed from that day forward. 
From that day forward, Zacchaeus' life, Zacchaeus' house, was a different kind of house. He said to the Lord Jesus, Behold, I pay back from those who I have taken fourfold. A great day of repentance came to Zacchaeus and his house. And that repentance was the kind of repentance that comes when you know the peace of Jesus. Today, Jesus still comes to visit you. And he comes as this same intense man. He comes as this same intense God who will weep over those who reject him, who will be angry at those who get in the way of his people and him being restored. But this intense visitor is not a man to be afraid of. He is a man to love. He is a God to seek with all your might, with all your strength, with all your soul. Let, our, let us, who are being visited by our Lord, be as intense about him as he is about us. For today, Jesus still comes into this place, into his house. And he says about this place, my house shall be a house of prayer. That is a place where God and man are in fellowship. Our Lord Jesus comes to us today in his body and blood. He visits us to bring us peace, to take away our sins from us and give in place of our sins his righteousness, his holiness, his grace. So rejoice that your master comes to visit you today. Know that today is your day of visitation. Be prepared. Know the things that make for peace and rejoice that you have this kind of a visitor, a visitor who comes to bring not false peace, but the real deal. To him be the glory now and always.